This is God's word. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely, the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O Lord. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. If only you, God, would slay the wicked, away from me, you bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way of everlasting. The word of the Lord. I invite you to pray with me as we open. God of grace, we come into this room and there's all kinds of different places that we find ourselves. And we look for your grace to speak and to be real. If we're here, it means, quite frankly, it means we haven't given up on the, the hope that you might be gracious. Um no matter what we've gone through. And some of us have gone through a lot. We've been hurt by others. We've created messes for ourselves. And we've done a lot of hurting ourselves and hurting of others. We come this morning from all different places, some of us not really resonating with the theme of wounding or wounded, and others of us, that's the reason we're here. And in all of these places that we come from, whether it's belief, unbelief, skepticism, joy, thankfulness, or bitterness, all the different places we might be emotionally and spiritually, we come and the truth is we are all more of a mess than we care to admit. We don't want others to know that we're broken, fragmented. We're works in progress. None of us are there yet. And it's so wonderful every Sunday to stop and to remember who you are and who you say you are. The God who moves towards broken people, who says, I won't wait for you to climb up to me and make yourself perfect enough to be in my presence and to receive my love. I will 
Come down to where you are, and I will become broken in your place and clothe you with my perfection. I will bring you in before you've arrived at any sort of place of being finished. We need that. Speak to us with that kind of grace. Meet us in our pain, in our brokenness, in our imperfection. Meet us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It was a Sunday for the wounded. It's appropriate in some ways because, you know, we have different amounts of pain, woundedness. We also have, on a morning like this, at least personally, myself, feel, feel the pain of waking up an hour earlier. And some of you are right there with me. Um, but we're here. We've made it. I, sh- I should have some kind of award or free handout that we, you know, something for you as a prize for getting here on time because a lot of what will what will probably happen is that while we're singing the last song some people will be coming in and they'll have a smile on their face and they'll think wow a lot of people at church today this early and they'll come get their coffee and they'll stand in the back oh i can't wait to find a seat after this song and then when the song's done we'll all i'll say the blessing and then the look on their face will turn that's a priceless look at that point when you see it registers that they yeah is that this Sunday? Am I getting that right? Yeah, that's this Sunday. I'm like, wait, I, you know, hey. I don't always trust my own brain. It's the other one where it happens the other way, and people are here for the prayer time before the service, and I say, welcome, you've come early to pray. Um, I want to start with um, reading something, the story of Jason. I read this story early on. I had Lisa and, our, and I and our... We only had, I think, one child at the time. And we had moved here, and we were looking to start a church. And so I would go back to one of the supporting churches that was really backing us and praying for us and, and, and behind the idea that some kind of new church was needed in a place like Sacramento, downtown, midtown area. So I would go back and say, here's what I'm learning. Here's who I'm talking to. And so I went one time, and, and so I found this this week. It was, I had typed it up. And um, this is what I told them told them about Jason. I said, Jason works for very little money at a nonprofit organization that helps people who suffer from HIV, AIDS, and breast cancer. The organization helps them get their, to their doctor's appointments and brings them groceries. Various people at City Life Church have started volunteering with this organization. Jason is in a happier and content place in life because he's been sober from drugs and alcohol for nine years now. He's a little younger than me. He's gay. And his experience with the church is of a hateful community. At one time, when he was struggling in life and came forward to ask for prayer in a worship service, the leadership took the opportunity to embarrass him in front of the whole congregation and prayed that the demon of homosexuality would be driven from him. Jason has made his peace with these kinds of experiences. And he's made his peace with God. But he has given up on the idea of church. It wasn't just Jason. I mean, it was in the midst of starting to have conversations and try to understand where are, where are our people? What have their journeys been like? I started to really be um, shocked. I mean, initially just very shocked at the level of hurt that was caused. I think I just all of a sudden started to realize how, how blessed I was. I did grow up in the church. I did go, you know, I know what a church basement is like as a, you know, as a child going down there for little crackers and snacks and singing Jesus songs and the B-I-B-L-E. And I knew that whole thing. And quite frankly, I had to stop amidst all of this and hearing stories and realize um, 
wow, how blessed was, was I that I wasn't, you know, some of it I might have been like, ah, oh, it's a little stuffy or styrofoam, but it, in truth, it was, it was an incredibly healthy spiritual upbringing compared to a lot of the hurt inflicted by those who were there, you know, you, who you go to for safety and to be cared for, to be in a sense shepherded like sheep need a shepherd. That's where the Bible goes with all of this. The Bible has a consistent theme with shepherding and the idea of good shepherds and, and not so good shepherds. And a lot of times throughout the, the Old Testament when there's, there's these, these, these pretty harsh words coming from God towards God's people, you know, in a sense, who should know better because he's revealed himself and given them his word. A lot of the times, the critique is in the shepherding, is in the, the leadership, um, not being the ones who are caring, not loving, taking advantage of those who are under their care. And Jesus says in John chapter 10 that he is the good shepherd. And he uses a word... Um, I should have found the reference. I won't waste time looking for it right now. But he uses the word hireling. That there's such a thing as a she- the kind of shepherd who's a hireling. That's not a good shepherd. It's a shepherd who's, who's hired and is sort of short-term, a sort of you know, fill-in-the-gap kind of guy who just does something um, when no one else is available. And there is such a thing as hirelings. And some of you have experienced that. I, I love this book. I read it occasionally, and I've been going through it slowly throughout this year. It's by a man named Philip Keller who writes about his experience as a shepherd, but then he became a minister, and so he plays with that analogy. He understands that analogy better than anybody I've ever read. He talks about the hireling, and he says, um, Sometimes, but not often, one of these drifters would be employed to tend the sheep in the owner's absence. It was seldom a satisfactory arrangement. For that reason, our Lord used the hireling to represent those who were entrusted with sheep but had no real love or concern for them. The secret to successful livestock husbandry is an essential love for the animals under one's care. And this, the hireling lacked. He had no stake in the flock. They were not his. He could care less what became of them. They were not the means whereby he would... He could make his fast buck and then get out. Or they were the means whereby he could make his fast buck and then get out. He says, in bold contrast, I recall vividly the love, loyalty, and undivided devotion of the Maasai in East Africa to their animals. He goes on and on about that. I I just want to stop and acknowledge there are such a thing as hirelings. It's a part of the biblical discussion about this whole issue of um, church and leadership. He says it another time, something very insightful as well, because what happens is um, a lot of times your experience with a hireling will send you out searching and kind of saying, no, 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 no. And some of the people you're going to hear from this morning have had that. Many of you have had that. You go off looking for something else. Church is no longer where you feel safe. You need for sure right now to not go there for your needs because your needs were not looked after but what you've, some of you have found, maybe you're in there right in this place right now, and some of you can look back and see being in that place, is something else that Philip Keller says about sheep who are insistent on leaving the flock. He says, once they had gotten out, they were exposed to enormous perils. Some wandered far off and became lost up the road or into the woods, and there they fell prey to all sorts of disasters. 
And maybe, maybe that doesn't describe perfectly your experience or not, as you maybe for a while say no to the church, but that's definitely a part of it, is that, you, you know, not being cared for can be just as bad, just as disastrous. So today we look to the idea that there's a good shepherd. We're going to give, give air to some of the woundedness, some of the difficulty, some of the challenge that we go through. But these are stories that you're going to hear, three stories really you're going to hear, are stories of, that have a, have a thread of hope, that help us see, okay, if we're imagining that it's not the hireling and it's not getting lost and leaving the flock, but there is maybe the good shepherd somewhere and we're turning somehow towards that, what might that start to look like and how might I have hope? That's what we're going to look at today. What's that like? And first, Sarah... Let's hear. Let's hear your story. Do you want to... Here, how about here? Okay. You can walk around there, and then you'll have a microphone, and I'll adjust it. Great. Yeah. You're not nervous, are you? This is easy. Oh, um, of course, Of course you're nervous. Here you go. You're going to be great. I feel like, in a way, this is almost like a... Well, this mm-hmm. is like the next step for me in my healing process, but... I was sitting there and I was thinking, gosh, it's like a, a room full of alcoholics. I just want to get up and be like, hi, my name is Sarah and I'm a wounded sheep. Um, which go. is great, actually, because mm. the way that most people in recovery are able to stay with it is through their mm-hmm. community and going to the meetings and everything. So mm-hmm. this is a, a good thing. Um, so in order to share my story, I kind of have to go like a little bit back mm-hmm. in my life. Um, I grew up in the church like Mark did, but my experience as an adult um, was very different. Um, and so I was always taught that um, all the right stuff to say and mm-hmm. that um, when you grow up that ministry is like your highest calling and that's that's the ultimate that you pinnacle that you can achieve in Christianity. Um, and I viewed the church as the avenue to achieve that pinnacle. Um, and then when I was 22, after I had been to Bible college and came home, um, the pastor of the church that I grew up in, um, confessed in front of the congregation that, um, not only had he been committing adultery, um, recently, but that it had been with multiple women for the duration of his ministry. And that felt like a huge personal betrayal, um, I tried not to let that define my church experience, but it struck a very deep place in me. Um, And then not long after that, um, the guy who was my youth pastor sort of physically restrained me to try to control me and keep me in the church. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's when I left. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And I kind of went on a rebellious, like, bender. Like, I just did all the sinning that I could think of. I was just like, following the rules did me no good, and I'm just going to go sin it up. Um, (laughs) and then I, after I came to my senses, I kind of decided to try again in a different church. Um, and I kind of naively placed my faith in, um, in that church and ended up being hurt more deeply than I could have predicted. Um, after I'd done five years of ministry at my new church, volunteering my time, energy, and talents, I sacrificed my educational and my vocational pursuits. Um, I found myself again deeply wounded by the pastoral staff. Um, 
and I vowed I would never, ever again trust another pastor or enter into any kind of ministry, and a deep hatred began to develop for the church. Christians obviously were only interested in appearances, in maintaining the status quo, in providing a show to bring in money for their building funds and their pastor salaries so their wives could drive Mercedes and so they could make themselves look better than other people. Um, And as I continued my journey, the hatred and the hurt came with me, um, and I thought I could leave it behind if I could just find a church that wasn't like that. Um, If only there was a church that didn't try so hard to be cool and just was cool. If only there was a church that actually cared about people instead of pretending to care. Surely if I could find the perfect church, all my hurt and hatred would dissipate. And then I found City Life. And it seemed like everything I was looking for. And for some reason, I felt that jumping in with both feet without any regard for my wounded past was a good idea. (laughs) But my past caught up to me, as it usually will. Um, And I realized that I just was seeking approval, and I was trying to volunteer my way out of the hurt. Um, And then I started to resent city life and finding fault in all these tiny little details And then it became a self-fulfilling prophecy because obviously no church was safe um, and I would never find a perfect church. But in that recognition, I knew I needed help for the curse of unresolved anger and hurt that I had brought with me. So I just stopped going to church till I could figure it out. It seemed like I'd rather not continue that woundedness and spew it onto other people. And it wasn't a church problem. It was a Sarah problem. Um, So about six months ago, I kind of, I don't know if I had it figured out, but I was like, okay, I can kind of go back to church now. And Mm. I knew that God wanted me here um, and that he would help me through that pain and through the hurt. And um, I don't think it was really until last Sunday that I fully understood what the church is. Sorry. Take your time. Um, I sat there and I was listening to my sister get up here and share her story. Um, which for people that were here last Sunday and heard that it was, I felt like it was really powerful, but um, probably most people don't realize that we're sisters. Um, I had a breakthrough that I felt like I'd been waiting for for her years. Um, And I realized that the church is me. Um, My sister would not have ever shared her story if I had never invited her to come to City Life. And her husband and children would not be part of this community if I had not gone out on that limb. Um, My fiancé would not have the freedom to take communion had I not invited him to church with me and had faith that we could both find healing for our religious wounds. I am the church. Mm -hmm. It's made up of people like me in various stages of woundedness and healing. It's not a pastor, a building, an ethos, a doctrine, or pieces of bread and sips of wine, even though those elements are part Mm -hmm. of it. It's people. Messed up, broken people who need love. I am messed up and broken, but I can love and I need love. 
I am still healing from my wounds, and I may always be in a state of healing. And I realize that city life isn't the perfect church either. Because if I have the ability to be a jerk, so do other people. (laughs) (laughs) And that's because at our base, we are all animals who can snarl and bite when we are wounded. Mm. The church wounded me, but that causes no less love to be given or received within my heart. It's just a part of my past. So in my quest to find the church, I found myself. And so from here on out, I hope that I can keep that in mind when I come into contact with people and show them the love that I have to give instead of just Mm. my hurt. I don't have to say much today. Thank you. What I want to point to is something Sarah said that is very much a part of the gospel of Jesus. Is when she starts to say, it's a Sarah problem. There's something very biblical, gospel-ish about saying something like that. That's a place God brought her to go towards saying, you know, what's the me problem in all of this? Um, and, and for this reason, not, not to kind of beat yourself up or find out, oh, it was all my fault. Or, no, nothing like that. But because until we see individually our own need and our own problem, the doorway to God's grace to flood in and his love to heal us and meet us won't open, won't fly open the way it does when you say, I'm going to look squarely at the me problem. It's very gospel. And it opens up the door to grace. And that's exactly what, if you notice Psalm 139, search me. God, you have searched me. And uh, see if there is any offensive way in me. Wow, that's bold and brave. But that's the opening the doorway to the gospel. Um, Emily, you want to come up? Where are you? There you are. I'm going to stand up here too because Emily and I are going to talk about an interaction we had a couple weeks ago. And um, so both of us are kind of being a little bit brave by doing this. Um, two weeks ago, um, I feel like both standing up here with our stands. Yeah, you'll be fine. Just be short. No. Okay. Otherwise, you're in big trouble. <laughs> Because I'm going to be long. Somebody's got to be short. Um, a couple weeks ago, I started out a sermon, and the sermon was about um, the sermon was about looking to the person who you might write off. Like, where in your life do you write people off, and how the grace of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus, always turns our attention towards that, and kind of looks at us and says, "You've got some inner correction to do. That bring my love to the very people that you look to write off." Well, I thought it was a great, a genius idea to start that off with, a, with an ethnic joke. <laughs> but what I did is, you know, I thought, well, I'm going to do this just to show that everywhere you go, people write someone off. And, you know, I saw some logic to that. Just start with a joke because it's a pretty heavy subject. And let's pick, a, let's pick an Estonian joke that, you know, because I met a Latvian person. They said Latvians tell Estonian jokes. And nobody will, you know, be offended by that because it's so far off. So, so I told that and, and the, everybody laughed and... 
And I moved on basically to say, don't do what I just did. And I kind of felt like I was walking on thin ice, but I thought, no, that, that worked. You know, it was, it was, uh, it felt like thin ice, but, you know, everybody got the point. And then Emily kind of, um, I was seeking her out to meet about something else. And so um, she said, yeah, let's meet. I have something else I want to talk to you about. And so we met. And then maybe you can talk about what happened, how you felt as I did what I thought was not so big of a deal. Yeah. Um, Okay. I'm trying to think about how to do this succinctly. Well, I, um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Emily. I'm Filipino. That means I'm half white. I'm half Filipino. (laughs) I'm in my own category in so many ways. Um, And, you know, when I grew up, I saw a lot of people who were teased about their Mm. ethnic background and teased for being slow. I saw a lot Mm. of people who looked at people of from my family and judge them because of their appearance. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people who told me, wow, you know, it's so weird because you seem a lot like me, like white people would tell me this, but your cousins kind of seem like gangsters. Um, mm. And I had a lot of those experiences that were really wounding, kind of like yeah. bruises that people put on my body over time. So, yeah. um, so I, just to be clear, I understood to everybody, I understood Mark's point, and it was a great sermon, and later that week at Bible study we had a great talk about the sermon, but for me, just hearing the joke, even though I'm not Estonian or Latvian, although I was in Estonia in Model UN at one point, so that could be why I had such a strong That's reaction. <laughs> just thought about that right now. Anyway, um, it really... It like it's like my eyes rolled back in my head and I couldn't hear anything else that happened that day and I just was like filled with so much overwhelming hurt and emotion. It's kind of like if you have a bruise that never heals and then someone comes and they brush into you and they push on it and you know that they didn't mean to hurt you. I always knew that Mark's intentions were good, um, but there was something that in me that 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 really. I felt like I had to tell him, and I'm, I'm not really sure why, and I was really avoiding it. And then he, <laughs> you wanted, we finally put up a meeting that we've been putting off for like two months, yeah. two days after I felt like I really needed to tell him about this. So that was kind of my experience. I, I actually really didn't want to talk to him about it. I'm extremely conflict-averse, and I, quite frankly, don't want to be seen as the ethnic person who complains about things. Um, but... Then he called me, so I kind of felt like so we, we did it. <laughs> so we did it. We talked about it. And so then uh, I'll just take over, and then we'll, I'll throw it back to you. Yeah, but okay. um, So then I, um, I come to this lunch meeting, and I hear this. And um, I think for sure there was a part of me that, um, like, you'll, like anybody would get, and like I've always got if I'm something of what I've done is criticized, where a little wall starts to go up, you start to build this. Um, and you maybe look for why it's maybe illegitimate or something like that. But I could see right away, and maybe this is why it didn't, I didn't really build a wall and I just listened, was because of Emily's was, was doing it so much in love, like expressing herself in so much of just a supporting kind of way, in a loving kind of way, that I started to realize as she was talking that um, although perhaps there wasn't anything I could have done to know how my I didn't have the tools yet. I needed her to help me get to have tools in my own personal community toolbox, in a sense, to be more sensitive, to be more loving. One of the ways you said it, and that um, that made the most impact on me when when we sat down, was that um, the the feeling of sitting in a room 
and having everybody laughing at a joke that was geared towards, you know, like a, maybe a minority group of people that you assume aren't there. Just, you know, inadvertently I have brought her into the space where of those feelings of what that feels like. We're all laughing. Oh, wait a second. Maybe we're not all laughing. So that was, that was um, although I could still see all the logic in why I did it, why it was funny and why it wasn't really no bad intentions, I felt like I really needed to hear of what you later call, hey, it's a minor kind of little wounding thing, it's not this big deal, but I still needed that. And then um, part of the truth of sitting down with you is that I think I sensed something other than just lightness was going to happen because when I went to the restroom before we even sat down, I kind of um, just washed my hands and, and I sort of said a little prayer for God's grace because I know just the inner turmoil of you know having to talk about hard stuff. And I asked that God would just give me that sort of settledness of myself. Um, and that's where I think kind of the ability to even navigate these things together comes. Yeah. So that was sort of my take on it is that I had to hear you and I had to listen and I had to be helped by understanding maybe not that this was a huge wound, but that it tapped into wounds that I hadn't been aware of. Yeah. Is it my turn again? Maybe, if you want it to be. I don't know. Do you want to say anything about walking out of that? Like, because then how do we get from there to today? Or, yeah, or is well, that enough? I mean, Mark was immediately like, we should talk about this on the Sunday for the herd. <laughs> I'm like, this is gold, Emily. This is gold. This hurt. It's happening right now. <laughs> um, yeah, I have to say, like, I, I, felt, I felt really good. And part of the reason that I decided to talk to Mark is because I, I, it, it was about my own personal hurt, but I also felt like it was also just about wanting him to know something about me. And that was really, actually, really unpleasant for me because it hmm. meant I had to be vulnerable and admit that someone can hurt me, yep. um, admit that whether they can hurt me matters right. to me, right. it's, which are all, I'm very prideful. Those are things I don't like to admit about myself. Um, yeah. But I felt so much peace after that conversation. Mark was so humble and so open. And um, it, I thought about it later. That moment in church was something that I really felt taking root in my heart in a very negative way. And I think if, I, if we hadn't talked about it, it would have, maybe I, I probably would have gotten over it, but it would have been there in the back coloring my experiences and coloring how I mm-hmm. see things coloring how I see other people and react to them and um, yeah. growing something unpleasant. Um, and um, instead, I feel like this conversation healed something in my heart mm. um, and colors my reactions to people in a positive right. way and is, um, I guess, a mistake that's reconciled and is so much more powerful than any mm. perfect sermon ever is. So yeah. I feel like it was a really positive experience for me. Yeah. Um, Anyway, that's what we've been up to. That's it. Thank you. I believe that the gospel is the source of bravery. So, and I told Emily when when we were leaving our lunch that she had been very brave. And I believe the gospel is the source of that, the grace of God. Because what are you afraid of? She, you just said it, the, the chance that you'd be hurt again. And the gospel does something internally in your life that increasingly convinces you because God's grace has been so good to you that you have all you need, that there's nothing, no hurt that can take that away. 
And so there's a bravery that can arise amidst normal. I mean, it's normal to be scared, but there's a bravery that can, uh, can kind of mingle around that um, because God's love and God's healing and God's um, union with you is so strong. But then it's also the source of humility because if I'm sitting there with her, what do I have to prove? That's usually what the defensiveness and the walls are. I'm, I, I don't like that you're... you're trying to prove that I'm not this or I'm not that and I want to prove that I am. I want to defend myself and you've all had that. Your defenses go up. And the gospel says you've got nothing left to prove. That's, what Jesus, that's where Jesus is different than all the other religion, religious centers that you might have because he comes to say I'm the one who proves it all before God for you. So you have nothing left to prove. It's all been done. You've been proved acceptable already. So bravery and humility in community come both from the same source, the gospel and the grace of God. And so one final story is Nathan's story. He couldn't be here, but I really wanted to end with this because of his own language to this, and it's pretty short. He says, when I was 11, I was at a church youth group. The youth pastor gave a sermon listing off the possible reasons we would go to hell. Pretty edifying, right? I haven't preached that one here yet, but hey, it's a new idea. I don't know. Um, so it had something to do with the first one was if you, if you agree with God but don't do anything about it, then you, then you will go to hell. If you, the second one was if you postpone God, then you will go to hell. And the third, he says, is if you ignore God, you will go to hell. And he said there were four reasons, but I don't remember the last one. He says, I was a very anxiety-prone little boy, and the sermon really scared me. It stuck with me for many years and was one of the reasons I believed in God out of fear, not because I was in awe of his love and grace. This was about 13 years ago, and I no longer feel hurt because the Lord in his time retaught me the gospel through the lens of grace. I know now that the church, like myself, is broken and can do harm to people. We are all in need of his grace. The whole experience has taught me that God and his love is bigger than my wounds. He says, um, that experience, among others, contributed to the church for a time not feeling like a safe place. I see now that God actually took me away from the church and used other ways to teach me. I believe that God will use whatever is around you to teach, to reach out to you. I chose to do more, go more of the new age route, and God used that to teach me to love myself, to understand how to, go, to let go of anger, to live in the present, and to see myself in others. This was the groundwork I needed, and when I was ready... God introduced me to someone named Kim. Kim was a very nurturing and patient friend who retaught me the Bible through the lens of grace. She showed me that there was no need to be afraid of the Lord. I needed a compassionate approach to help soften my heart. In time, my eyes were opened to see that all the lessons I learned elsewhere were, in fact, in the Bible. I was just too wounded and afraid to hear them. Friends, as we move into prayer and move of communal oneness, the, the Lord's Supper. Just consider these three places you might land today. I want to challenge you to, to land in a specific place and not just sort of walk out saying, oh, that felt nice to hear some stories. But to land in one of three places. First of all, you might have a wound that you're still healing from, that you're still processing. No one might even know about it, and we don't need to, but if that's where you are today, then I... I ask that, that you would do something specific about it, whether it's to jot it down or to be mentally praying it through as we have a chance to do so in a minute.
Or maybe you have wounded someone, and, and quite frankly, if you look back, you know it. You've been a wounder, not just one of the wounded. And there's something unresolved and unreconciled, and it's easy to keep going and not look at it, but consider the, how the power of the gospel gives you bravery to turn towards someone you might have wounded and humility to be able to seek reconciliation or to at least begin to pray for it. So you might have a prayer of being wounded. You might have a prayer of being a wounder. Or maybe today it's not one of those, but you know someone who is what I've heard someone call a bruised reed. Someone who's been hurt. Someone who has the bruises. And you know about them or you know of them or you know that they're very vulnerable. So maybe for you it's the prayer of an advocate, of praying on behalf of someone and looking for ways to be a healer um, and a protector of them. Let us pray. Dear God, thank you for your grace, for moving in the lives of Sarah, Emily, and Nathan, and so many others. There are, even, there are other stories that came in this week. And, and we pray that you would move us out with, with the specific action and the bravery and the humility we need to either open ourselves up to healing again or to reach out to someone we've hurt or to pray and reach out for someone who's being hurt and just needs an advocate, just needs someone who's in solidarity with their woundedness. Lead us to actions like this. Lead us to be your church. Lead us all towards being more and more like the good shepherd and not like the hireling. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.